and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nice and accurate work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was my psychotic co-host, Reuben Warhouse. Um, I think in this relationship, I'm the Andy and you're the Ava. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Not clarify. Too late. I, I already established it. it. You've already I'm the Andy. <laughs> um, and this is what our episode is going to be about today. It's a long-form debate about which of us is the Andy and which is the Ava. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about Malafide 10.x, uh, which is a Gathered Pages uh, interlude uh, focusing on Andy and all his uh, writings. Um, mm. It's a fun one. I, I really like it. it. It's such... I mean, obviously, the interludes are always super fun for world-building reasons, but this one is especially yeah. fun because we finally get to find out... Well, not find out, but kind of get a glimpse into how Witch Hunters and their society, I guess, works. Um, it's great. Yeah, we sort of finally get insight into the witch hunter segment of the world as a whole. Yeah, uh, um, we can just call them the men of letters, because that's really what I was reminded of here. In fact, this uh, whole chapter made me think a lot of Supernatural, but, like, coherent, you know? Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was funny, it was like, seeing that you'd written the men of letters uh, reference here in our notes didn't make me hate myself less for making that connection as well mm. made me hate you just as much yeah no fair fair um, um and, and i mean if we have any listeners who don't know what we're talking about uh, good for you uh, yeah if you want to know just watch like 12 seasons of supernatural <laughs> and that's when they get introduced i think um yeah. it's well past the point where the show stopped being good yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but anyway yeah um no I, I was very excited when i saw we finally had another gathered pages uh interlude because yep. the last one was black lamb's blood and Yes. Wobbo's note to himself at the bottom of that very chapter, like I remember, was him sort of saying, you know, uh, it, it, that he found it quite hard to inject a narrative into these pages interludes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that he he wrote that under the the one that was the familiar implement domain one as well. I think. Yeah, and, and so like I, I since it had been so long, like Black Black Lamb's Blood was the most recent uh, pages interlude, so I kind of assumed that we just weren't going to get any more. Mm. So I was very excited to see uh, another one return. And of course, you know, it's in the form of letters, which is, you know, a, a, a good way to do a Gathered Pages one, but also hit that uh, narrative bit, you know, because obviously, yeah. I mean, this is the way stories were told. In fact, like the gothic horror genre, uh, for me, was, is sort of defined by Dracula and Frankenstein. Which, which were uh, in these styles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan. Um, in, in fact, like, the last segment of this chapter sort of drops it and just yeah. cuts to third person and i was honestly a little disappointed i i would have liked to maybe get some extra insight into what andy was thinking about this after it happened but uh yes we're still kind of yeah. in andy's perspective and there are some interesting things like him stopping ava from shooting the first time but letting her shoot the second time but it definitely mm. would have been good to get a bit more into his head for this stuff um yeah yeah, I don't know. I was yeah, I was a little bit bummed that the, the gathered pages was taken away. Like uh, when we don't get very many of them, but like it's it's still <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good chapter. Yeah. Um. So let's dive into it, shall we? Yeah. Uh, so of course, the first thing I want to bring up is how much I hate Ava, uh, and here's a little quote to support <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> Andy Andy writes one of the first lines in in this whole uh, chapter is talking about a katana that has been given to them and he passed it off to Ava and he writes all the same the gift bought me a week of her listening to me that matters a lot thanks again um so yeah she's basically just a child I mean a lot of his time seems to go to managing <laughs> Ava and there's this interesting part later on where um where he kind of gets called out by her and and realizes that he shouldn't be putting himself above her so much or at least that's what I read into it but I, I still yeah. think that he can because she's crazy and uh, not an adult. Um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like she requires uh, pretty substantial monitoring. Um, I mean, what, what's kind of cruel about this chapter is we learn so much about these two, and yet there's still so much more. Like, I, like we're almost teased with the details on, yeah. you know, what has made... Like, it, Ava's clearly scarred by something like you know it's not i mean it, it, i think based on what andy says it's kind of clear that she was always she was born as a bit of a a wild card because yeah. you know she was she was like sword fighting goblins and stuff <laughs> at a very young age yeah uh so i think it would be hard for a normal adjusted person to come from that sort of background 
but uh, I mean, it seems pretty clear that something else has happened that's made her really go off the edge. And so I, I feel sorry for her. I obviously feel sorry for Andy. You know, it's just, it's that class. It, everyone is the victim uh, yeah. in, in here as far as I'm concerned. Yes. It's a, it's obviously a shitty situation for everyone. Um, I still can dislike Ava though, and I will, so. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I, so something I think we've got to jump into, because I, I think it's something that's very strong throughout this chapter, mm. is Andy and Ava as... Uh, I don't know if foils is the right word, but like something to compare to Blake and Rose. Like, yeah. Am I remembering right? Andy and Ava are twins. Yes, they're twins. Right? Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you can view Blake and Rose as, as twins. I mean, I um, think that's a fair way to describe them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the closest normal human analogy that I've got. Yeah. Um, And, and I think it's interesting because I, I, like two of the biggest things I think that have defined Blake versus Rose has been like being the book person versus the person who jumps in. Yeah. And being a good verse person versus being an asshole. Well, uh, yeah. I suppose that's fair. <laughs> I mean recently at least. Yeah. Um and and Andy and Ava are kind of the same like duality, but the combinations are different. Like yeah. Andy is the nice guy and the book bookworm, whereas Rose is the evil one and the bookworm. And then obviously <sighs> a- Ava and uh Ava and Blake are kind of the impulsive ones, but I'd argue Blake is a better person than, than Ava. Yes, I definitely think Blake is a better person than Ava. I do think it's not as clear-cut that Blake is a better person than Rose. I still think he is, but I think it's... I, I think they're a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, yeah, I am very much generalizing and, and simplifying uh, to, to sort of build this. But I, I think that's sort of... That's the point get away with that. That's, that's why I think this works as a sort of ability to contrast and compare mm. them yeah uh, like because yeah i agree it, it isn't always that cut and dry and i think that you know having these two who like i think it's fair to say recently in the story we can label rose as the bad one out of, out yeah, of her, yeah, her and blake i think that's um, fair and uh, at least from blake's perspective of the last arc and so i think it's interesting to compare these two with this sort of different combination of the same uh basic ingredients yeah i really like the the way that Obviously, we're a lot on Blake's side here, and I'm definitely more on Andy's side in the Andy-Ava dynamic, Mm -hmm. where Andy, he sees himself and he kind of is like, he has to watch over Ava when she does her impulsive plans. I love that because it forces us to kind of think about, well, wait, was Rose having to do that with Blake? She kind of was back in the day, right? So it kind of gives you a newfound respect for Rose in some ways. No, I did have the thought, like, I want, like, Andy talks about, um, you know, how, oh, this is good, it helps me keep Eva in control for a week, and you gotta yeah. wonder if Rose ever had moments like that where <laughs> there was something that happened and she was like, oh, good, this will keep, you know, Blake sort of feeling guilty and, and like, he'll have to do things for me for a week. Yeah. I'm not having trouble picturing her thinking like that right now, given what's gone down recently. <laughs> I mean, maybe sticking him in the mirror is her way of controlling him for a week. <laughs> um, He's in the timeout corner. Yeah, exactly. The timeout mirror, we call it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, some other interesting bits. You kind of mentioned that we get more insight into the background of, of these two here, but it doesn't get resolved fully, which I agree with. Uh, there's this line where Andy is uh, writing to Mr. Samaniego, and writes uh, something along the lines of, Sandra has made it clear she knows who you are and would rather you stay away. Which is so, <laughs> like, it's the kind of world-building line that just makes me ache for all of the side stories of all these characters. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how, like, I don't think anyone would call this a short story, but it still feels like so. there's so much more out there. Yeah. Um, which I think is what makes it so good, uh, you know, or that, that sense that, there's been more thought put into this world than what what we explicitly see. Yeah, there really um, is infinite space to play in, right? Like you could imagine a whole series of books that are just about you know Sam and Diego or Creevy or whoever and their adventures being witch hunters, and it'd be a completely different thing to pact, but would still be like its own interesting space to play in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like it's interesting because we 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 learn a lot about witch hunters in this chapter, but we still don't have. The full picture, but like it's pretty easy to imagine why Sandra doesn't want more witch hunters in town. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, especially considering <laughs> the way that Andy ends this chapter. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't want more of them around. 
Um, so one other interesting note that I want to pull out, which I quite I thought was quite funny, is Andy reminds Mr. Samniego uh, that your average practitioner will be able to look and see if something's watching them, even if it's a camera. And it's this interesting dynamic where it feels like Andy... I mean, Sam and Diego probably already knows this, right? Because he's a witch hunter, but Andy's mentioning it anyway. And it gives me this vibe and later parts also give me this vibe of Andy being this young guy who kind of has relied on for tech support for the other crew, <laughs> which is a very kind of human thing that I quite liked. It was an interesting way to color their relationship here. It, yeah. Like it definitely reminded or reminded me of, you know, when I've handed off things to my parents, like after I've had to set up a computer or, or like a, a wireless router for them and you, you just make sure to explain all the basics cause you're not sure what they do and don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and you, you don't want to be called up and, and then be told that you didn't tell them X or something. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I agree. It does feel very just sort of, hu- yeah, human was the pers- perfect word for it. And I mean, that was that would be how I describe this entire network. But uh, yeah. we'll get into that in, in a bit. Well, yeah. So the next letter is Mr. Samaniego's response back to Andy. Basically, chit-chatting a bit and then offering some advice and some help if he needs it. Yeah, and and well, yeah. Well, let's just get into it. I mean, the the other yeah. big thing in this chapter is that like we see that the witch hunters are just networking and communicating and and being nice to each other and helping each other out. And it's like I'm so on their side now. Like, yeah, wait, practitioners can do that. Well, apparently not, but the witch hunters can. Oh yeah, true. Um, Fair. And you know, like as far as I'm concerned now, the the witch hunters are the heroes of this story. Ava is more of a hero than Blake is. Is well, clearly the takeaway uh, here. <laughs> <sighs> um, no, I, you're right. The, the fact that they're communicating is so important, right? And it's it's clearly, it, it like elevates their ability to handle stuff so much more. Um, one of the mm. things that I don't think we mentioned that much in our notes here, but is kind of consistently reinforced is the fact that Andy and Ava have had training drilled into them of keeping journals just mm. so that you know, for themselves, but also in case anything happens to them, things can kind of get picked up from where they were left off. And it's all these things, all these systems that these witch hunters have that are designed to make the lives of other people easier. It's so refreshing to see people who treat this, like, in a smart way. Uh, Yeah, and and so much less of a selfish way. Like It's it's so much more selfless. Like, they seem... It's interesting because I still don't know what, like, big picture, the plan of witch hunters is. Yeah. Uh, like, what like do they do- get out of this, right? Yeah. I, I, at the moment, I'm assuming they just sort of see themselves as the people who keep it under control. Like, they 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 stop it from going too far. Like, they're clearly not indiscriminate about how they attack yeah. practitioners and others. Uh, but they, you know, they seem to, I assume that they view themselves as the people who stop it from going too far. Yeah, I, uh, with I guess they're- varying ki- degrees of success. They're kind of police to an extent, right? Both policing others, but also policing practitioners, making sure that practitioners who step out of line get punished. Uh, and I mm. think this came up uh, early on in the first or second arc, where they were kind of referenced as a, a kind of- mechanism for karma to be enacted yeah that that was sort of indirect but Mm. yeah like i agree i i'm kind of it's interesting because they're because of the way like they do almost feel like a bit of a counter system to practitioners in a way Mm. um i'm trying to think you know if we view this whole society of, of practitioners and others uh through a lens of like you know comparing it to to real world societies and systems um like the story is kind of doing, I'm not sure exactly where I want to put witch hunters or like who I want to compare them to, but they're this interesting sort of counterbalance where they sit kind of outside the system and are designed to control it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least yeah. measure it and like make sure, it, like keep it yeah. measured, I guess is or, or try to. I mean, you know, there's yeah, only true. so much you can do. <laughs> yeah. um, only so much you can do before you just need to whip out the old rocket launcher and, and wipe <laughs> the slate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think they do play a very interesting role. And I, I, I'm I, excited by the fact that Andy having an interlude hopefully means that we will see more of him coming up. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I hope so. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we've been talking about this. It's, it's really juicy world building, right? And I, I love it. It's just like, it's so fun being inside the world of these witch hunters. I, I want to see more of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this fleshes the world, uh, a whole new part of the world out so much more. 
uh, and, and yeah, at the same time, feels like we're barely getting a snapshot um, of yeah. it. Um, like, like, yeah, this first half of the chapter is, is for me all about establishing the existence of this network and and kind of using that directly and indirectly to point out kind of how much better this network is than practitioners, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah. So much better than just leaving mysterious notes in your library that don't really help anybody. <laughs> um, oh, and just leaving problems and, until they're big enough that you have to deal with them because you didn't talk to anyone else who might have known that this was going to be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, the the example I like the most is, obviously, practitioners communicate in their own circles, right? The Duchamps communicate in their own circles, etc. But the the isolation, like... I, I like the example of the Knights of the Basement as a great way of, if they had been communicating with another group, like, can you imagine how much more closure at least they would have gotten? I mean, or yeah. even they might have been successful because we don't know how, how much they failed against the Erasure Demon. Things like that just kind of defy this silo approach to being a practitioner. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things we saw when Blake got hit by Ur uh, was how many people sort of had bits and pieces like you know the shepherd had been keeping track of every time this happened and um <laughs> yeah. isadora was able to block it when she knew it was coming like you know there's yep. all these pieces of puzzles that could have come together better if everyone was doing what what these people are doing <sighs> maybe one day these practitioners will learn to communicate uh but anyway so the yeah. next the next segment the next gathered page is a note that Andy leaves himself basically talking about how important it is for him to maintain a diary and that he hasn't been doing it yeah it's basically just a note on um how bad he is at doing this part of the job and really how bad he is at doing the whole job and how he doesn't like it at all yes and and that's kind of the purpose of this portion right this is a short little note um but it's here to to kind of start us thinking about andy hating his job and kind of get us a bit curious i think about why he's doing it yeah and, and of course we'll go into this a bit more but uh, we haven't explicitly said it so i just want to say it like he's he, you know this whole thing he's he's doing it to keep a promise that yep on a universal scale he doesn't have to keep Yes. And and again, we've just been talking about how practitioners don't communicate. And it's worth pointing out, practitioners aren't communicating even though they all have to tell the truth. Uh, these people are all communicating even though they can just lie to each other. And it all comes back to that thing about how, like, practitioning's just the worst. Because, you know, <laughs> somehow being able to not lie makes you more likely to be dishonest. It's I crazy. I love it. I don't think it's practitioner practicing being the worst i think it's just practitioners elliot like well same 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 yeah um yeah i, I want to touch on this promise because obviously it's hinted at throughout this entire chapter but we never actually find out what this promise is it's yeah. presumably uh, the it, i mean it feels like the kind of thing where it's a mentor died for andy slash ava and you know their dying words was oh take care of this and Andy was like yeah I promise I will or something like that right that's kind of yeah the narrative spot that it seems to occupy although obviously if we do find out what it is I expect it to be a little bit you know cleverer than than a, a, a very <laughs> standard cliche um, but it's it's that's kind of where it feels like it occupies and it's it kind of is getting to the point through Andy feels like he's getting to the point where I don't know why. He thinks this promise is the right thing for him to keep. Uh, yeah. No, feels... I'm on the same page. I'm I'm mm. fascinated to learn why he's placing so much weight on this because uh like it, it seems like it's doing him no good and uh keeping Ava on, on the board is also doing nobody any good. So Yes. I, I'm gonna uh, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go sit in my little armchair psychology armchair for a second. Because I it does feel to me like Andy talks about I think it's this this note that we're discussing right now where he mentions that if he doesn't keep the diary, he kind of falls apart without structure, right? And this is something that I can kind mm -hmm. of empathize with where you need a bit of structure in your life to keep you doing the shit that you really want to do. I, I, yeah. I, I worry that Andy is that kind of person where he thinks that if I don't maintain this promise, I'm that's it. I'm just going to kind of, I don't know, fall into a slump or not do anything or I don't know what I would be. And so to him that is scarier than just maintaining the promise, which is something that he kind of doesn't want to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. 
Um, I'd question that logic, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would too. Like, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Um, um, yeah. I mean, I think the really like one of the really interesting things that comes out of this is, um, and he mentions that he he doesn't plan to leave a legacy on the world. <laughs> like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be remembered or anything, which is. Mm. You know, I think very indicative of, uh, you know, poor self-esteem at the very least. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it contrasts interestingly. Like it reminded me of uh, something Blake uh, has has sort of talked about a couple of times um, about how he Blake didn't necessarily see himself having kids, but he's always someone who's wanted to have an impact on the world and didn't want the world to forget him, which you know it did. Uh, but <laughs> whoops, you know it. Uh, it's interesting because because uh, Andy sort of says, "Oh, uh, you know, it's very human to want to leave a legacy, but I don't want to." The ironic thing being that as a non practitioner, he's one of the most human people in the story, mm. and we have Blake, who's one of the most questionably human people in the story, and yet Blake is apparently conforming to this human norm uh, more than Andy. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting Andy saying that because he is someone who cares so much about his kind of catalogue of knowledge, right? I wonder what legacy he thinks he wouldn't be leaving behind, considering that part of his legacy will presumably, as a witch hunter, be the knowledge that he's gained and catalogued over the course of his life. Yeah, but he almost doesn't... He, he's just doing that because it's part of the job. I feel like mm. he's kind of doing this as much out of obligation as the rest of it. Mm. Uh, you know, he doesn't like keeping the diary. He made that very clear just before. He He's just doing it because that's what he's meant to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, because in, in, in Pact, your legacy kind of is the knowledge that you leave behind, right? I mean, that's really yeah. what you're leaving your descendants. I wonder if his plan then extends to <laughs> burning the files or something, which, I mean, if you want to break the wheel, that's, that's one way to do it. I mean, you, well, yeah, or, or rocket launching everyone. Like, you know, there's, there's <laughs> Again, a bunch there's of... multiple ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the next gathered page is a little report uh, that Andy uh, writes about a frog spirit that they hunted and, and killed um, or bound uh, that was kind of terrorizing school children. I love how this opens. I never would have guessed frog spirit based yeah. on, on how this starts. It's such a fun yeah. little uh, <laughs> snapshot into what these sorts of people have to deal with. Yeah. It's such a weird little, because it is like its own little... I don't know, one moment murder mystery kind of thing, right? Where it's, yeah. oh, we've got this set up. What is it? Who knows? Oh, it's this. Okay, cool. We've wrapped it up. And it's a very kind of quick little snippet about what could really be a whole chapter in, in Andy's uh, novel, you know? Yeah, well, um, it, it's the abridged report of like a Monster of the Week episode yeah and i love that yeah. i love this one and i love the ones we get later they're so they're so fun they're just kind of like yeah a bridge little monster of the week things where you feel like you get all the kind of juicy bits of like oh a, a mystery oh and it was this oh okay cool and they took it down <laughs> ah cool and there's a little bit of like hints of what it could be like yeah it's fun it's fun stuff yeah i mean to talk about some of the later ones like i think Walbo does a really good job of knowing which details to drop to keep them it, he makes them feel very varied and also very uh, like interesting like wait, there's the one with the little plant kid who goes home to a house and then just stands there all night and i just <laughs> but that's just one little detail and it makes the whole thing fucking terrifying and it's just like and then we killed it and yeah. then there was a parent and we killed that yeah um it's yeah it's 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 uh so much fun yeah yeah it's great um this other this 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 page is also kind of ramping up i mean this whole chapter is kind of ramping up uh what we were talking about in 10.1 and 10.2 where the numbers of others and the types of others that are in the town are really starting to build up. And and that's one of the main things this chapter is doing is really kind of getting us, continuing the mindset of get ready for things to pop off in Jacob's Bell. Uh, because, of course, the way this include ends is things popped off yes. in Jacob's Bell. <laughs> I mean, that's been a big thing. This entire arc has yeah. been, uh, uh, you know, showing us uh, that um, Jacob's Bell is a bigger and bigger dam than we thought. And it's got more and more cracks than we thought. And it's just... This chapter lays a lot more seeds on that and implies that it's been building up even longer than we thought. Yes. Um, yeah, which is interesting. I, I'm, I wonder how that will play into the story going forward. I, I love, yeah, I just, I, I, I really like the way that obviously the last two chapters had to kind of be a bit more personal than the start of this arc was. Uh, the start of this arc was very much like giving us a snapshot of the town. 
Mm. And then we got back to the personal stuff with Mags and Molly and, and Rose and Blake. And now this interlude's able to kind of ramp us back up, bring back those themes from the early chapters of this arc, and then uh, <laughs> set it all in motion. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Also, one interesting uh, bit from the Frog Spirit uh, section before we before we move away from that is uh, Andy references it as a job that came from the council, but it kind mm. of becomes clear later that he's talking about uh, you know the Young Justice Society that was forming. Yep. Uh, before. Uh, Maggie Holt lost her name to uh, Pordrig. Yeah. So, you know, that's fun. Like, I'd, I'd actually sort of forgotten about this junior council and, and you know, we're being reminded of them. I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering if they're going to, you know, show up as a bit of a player as things pop off uh, yeah. in Jacob's Bell. It's I interesting. guess we haven't had a chance to interact with them, right? Because now we're back in Blake's head and he hasn't really interacted with them at all. Um, no. We'll see, I suppose. Uh, so Andy next responds to the letter that he got from Mr. Samaniego, and he basically asks for help in identifying all the others that are coming to town, because there are so many that he can't keep <laughs> up with it all. Uh, yes, and in fact, they talk about setting up a pra- like uh, an other wiki, like you yeah. know, some sort of magic wiki, and it's finally happening. I'm it's surprised happening, they don't they don't have one already, honestly. Well, it kind of seems like uh, most of these guys are pretty old fashioned. Uh, and, you know, it's the younger generation kind of changing changing it up with the technology. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so coming soon, we'll be able to Google Faceless Woman and see exactly what she is. <laughs> so here's another little note uh, from this, where Andy mentions the rocket launcher, and he says in this letter, Ava and I would very much like to have our rocket launcher. I talked about it with her in, in the sense of the general situation, and she agreed. No jokes, no apparent manipulation. And it's nice that Andy has to put in no jokes, no apparent manipulation in there, just to reassure <laughs> Mr. Samaniego that, yes, he's thinking that about it, and Ava, yes, would be likely to joke or manipulate in a situation like this, but he's pretty sure that she didn't, so that's fun. Um, yeah. She's, she's mean, a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it really sells this, this moment, right? Like, it reminds mm. me of all those times we've joked about how, you know, oh, if Blake and Rose are on the same page about something... Like, you know shit's serious. And this is just doing the same thing. It's Andy basically saying, hey, Eva and I agree that this is serious and we need it. So it's probably serious and we probably need it. Yeah. And this brings to mind a, a question, actually, which is Andy makes reference to the fact, uh, I think it's in this chapter, that Ava, he thinks, would be able to take out any of the practitioners in town, right? Hmm. Um. But he's the one with the with the rocket launcher plan at the end, not Ava. It's interesting that he he sees himself doing that as opposed to having Ava do that. I, I wonder what your read on that is. Well, I, I'm all got the impression because Ava's more focused on close quarters combat, uh, sure. for want of a better term. Like she's someone you send after someone specifically, whereas Andy's the one with the hunting rifle or the rocket launcher, who you know is is the long range. Okay. sort of thing that makes um, sense I, I also you know i think i i think part of him would maybe want to shelter eva from that a bit i don't know mm. um uh, yeah it's interesting exactly where he stands with her i think part of him would like to try and get her out of all this um if he thinks that's at all possible i don't know mm. yeah i wonder i wonder I don't know. I feel like she's pretty deep in it at this point i wonder what would need yeah. to happen to even consider having her kind of come out of the life yeah um, uh, a lot, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, so our next note that we get uh, is Andy kind of reflecting on himself and Ava and, and his promises. Uh, and this note kind of talks about how he's noticed that he's slipping and he kind of has realized that he almost gave up on on his life. He almost gave up and let himself be caught in, in a situation quite recently. Yeah, and I think for me, this is the most central or most important letter uh, in the whole collection. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it hits us again with that idea that Andy has noticed how much everything is ramping up and, and all the others are becoming more active and adding to that feeling that something really big is coming. Um, but then he goes on this sort of fairly long tangent about what what the practice might be doing by existing. Yeah. Um, like, you know, he sort of talks about how he doesn't think that practitioners follow others mm. and he doesn't think that it's just all others are practitioners who've turned like, you know, he says that there's theory that Faye were originally practitioners. So yep. that, you know, that whole thing uh, that we've heard about before. Um, 
but Andy theorizes that maybe there's something to the practice that attracts the monsters. Like it, it's something that calls to them. Yeah, which um, I mean makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, it's very interesting, and I wonder if I wonder if this is something that's going to be explored further because, like, I can see I can see a lot to it. Like the idea that um, practitioners, you know, and, and the books talked about this a lot. How that the more you sort of practice, the more you sort of become other to mm. some degree mm. and i wonder if maybe you know every time you lose a bit of your humanity and become more other as you're practicing is that something that others in the area can feed off of mm. um i know because you know we've seen uh you know a lot of them jump at the chance to become a familiar because apparently that gives you a taste of that sweet mortal life that is apparently <laughs> such a big deal yeah um so yeah i i don't know or you know is it disrupting the spirits or the foundation of the universe to some degree. Like it's, it's such an interesting theory on the foundations of this very world. Like I can't yeah. help but feel that if this, if this ever comes back or is relevant, it's tying into probably the very foundation of where Pact is going to end up. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like we've talked so much over the course of this story about concepts of kind of radiation. And if that's mm. where, uh, that's kind of where this slots into me. I feel like, being a yeah. practitioner, you have this radiation of otherness. You know, you 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 radiate otherness around you, and I suspect that's that's kind of where it fits into my head with what Andy's saying here. Yeah, well, it's just so interesting because like, humans fit such a unique role in this universe, seemingly. Yeah. Um. Well, it, it seems to mostly be humans that say create manifestations or maybe even lead to the creation of gods. Like, I guess we we don't know whether it's a chicken or egg situation with gods, whether they're yeah. created and then people start believing them in them or vice versa. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I could see, you know, the the fact that humans are dedicating themselves to the world of the practice, somehow empowering that world and, and empowering the others, which, you know, is basically the radiation you're talking about, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, it sort of, it validates the existence of the um, of the others in the area uh, by by humans sort of, delving into it yeah 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 i wonder uh, yeah because you're right that humans play such an interesting role because they are they're not <laughs> like they're just not like anything else right and i mean maybe mm. that's a human-centric viewpoint because i guess others aren't like anything else either right I, it's no, but like the position humans can take as innocent and all the special protections that come with it seems very unique well, to but, humankind. Yes, but those are those come from the seal of Solomon, right? Which he was a human, so he was, you know, the human that made this. Of course, is going to kind of treat humans as the I don't know the the innocent species. But you can kind of imagine that if there was a Solomon that was a goblin, right? He would set up a thing, and he managed to whatever get as much power as the actual Solomon human did. He would set up a thing where okay, well, fairy can't just prey on goblins by default unless they're you know, non-innocent goblins or whatever it is, whatever that fucking means. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I guess, um, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's more, you know, humans seem of the mortal world, whereas most of the others seem like they really trace themselves back to, you know, the, the spiritual uh, yeah. dimension or, or something. And it, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, um, I kind of there's agree. A lot, there's a lot you can sort of think about here. I guess I don't know enough to really claim much for certain. Yeah. I, it does feel like a bit of a chicken and egg thing as well, where it could be, yes, humans are just kind of the default species here, but it could also be that uh, just kind of by chance humans became the default species and then, you know, their perception influenced the spirits to shape everything else into what it is now and that's not actually what it was like, whatever, how many, however many years ago that the Earth hmm. impact was created. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess... Part of the reason humans often take a bit of a special role in universes like this is because thematically it's great as this idea that like humans are the ones that can make a difference and yeah, it's kind of a very easy way to say, you know, our, our humanity is special and yeah. unique to us and that's what makes us special and unique. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's why it's fairly common and uh, maybe it's just because it's so common I'm sort of bringing it into pact. Yeah, but, but I, I, like, I think that thematically it does fit into this story because no, this story's been talking right. a lot about the existing system and how humans might be able to change that. And I think, uh, you know, that special role of humans in the universe fits thematically here as it does in so many other stories. Yeah. I wonder, this makes me wonder two things. One is, I wonder if 
any animals like gorillas or dolphins or whatever, any of the animals that are smart, <laughs> pigs, <laughs> um, if they have their own mythologies in pact, like, is there, a, is there a version of that that exists? What do pig spirits, like the spirits for the pigs look like? What does that operate like? Um, and the other question is, what would happen if aliens came down to the world of pact, right? How would they interact with the existing system? Is it human-centric or would any sentient species that isn't an other, in air quotes, be able to, you know, impact the the world in some way. Uh, these are this is obviously <laughs> never going to be answered in fact, but yeah. it's the kind of stuff I love thinking about. It's an interlude. This is the time we think about these things. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I, I would assume any sentient species could potentially end up in, in a situation like humans are in. Yeah, now. because the line, I mean, I mean, the line for Blake between human and other is already so blurry, and it does seem like, and I mean, Molly is another example, right? Molly is clearly an other. But she practiced magic. She influenced the spirits. Like, mm, mm. she's not a human. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I mean, sorry, to go back to your alien example. The, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the problem with the aliens is they would never come and visit because they're too busy not lying to each other and yeah. thus being dishonest. And, and they would and communicate they and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't we know. need those alien witch hunters to come down and, <laughs> and give us a hand. Uh, you mean Martian Manhunter? That's that's the alien witch hunter. <laughs> anyway, we've gone off on a real yes. <laughs> side note here. Um, let's bring it back. So this is the part where where Andy's kind of reflecting on his promise, and um, I don't know at the ending here where he kind of psychs himself back up to to keep agreeing to his promise. It's it's it feels sad, but it also feels like a mixed bag because the next the next few notes. He's kind of back in form. He he kind of gets back to form and seems to be doing okay. Like seems to be excelling within the structure that he's forced himself to adhere to. So I I don't know. I kind of feel like either he's had a slump and he pulls himself out of it, or he's kind of deceiving himself in his notes. It's hard to tell which one's happening. I think the vibe I got is that he. You're right. He pulls himself out of a funk, but he doesn't. I don't think he gets to the point where he's happy with where he is. He's just kind of making do yeah better yeah like he's not he doesn't he doesn't make it so that he actually enjoys where he is he just manages to make things a bit easier so that he can cope better yeah uh which is not really fixing the the problem it's uh but it's a very relatable thing like, I, I, <laughs> I mean i i don't think i'm the only person who relates to that sort of mentality yeah. um so yeah it's it's kind of tragic uh in in a way yeah uh, it's uh, on some level yeah yeah um, so then he's kind of back, back out of his funk, uh, updating notes and he, he accidentally lets slip some very break the wheel, uh, mentality. Yeah. We really are seeing this from just about every young yeah, person in so the story at some not point. Not just right? young people. Like, so this is the thing. The more I hear about how many people want to break the wheel, the, the less I believe it's actually going to happen. Like, so obviously <laughs> we first heard about it with, with, with Eamon and, and Rose Senior, right? That, that came out probably, I mean, that was around the time of Black Lamb's Blood as well. So that, that stuff all kind of happened together. And it really felt yeah. like, oh yeah, they can actually do it. Like they've got a plot, they're doing it. But then the more we hear about it, the more we hear like, oh yeah, Laird wanted to break the wheel. Oh yeah, Sandra wanted to break the wheel. <laughs> like the more we, we hear that these people have kind of had these desires, the, the more it feels like if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. And we're just kind of in the part of the cycle where people think about breaking it, but don't actually do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is something Pact has, as, as you sort of said, has been dealing with for a while. Like this idea that you sort of try to break the system and then often you just end up becoming a part of it. Like you either get beaten down or beaten into it. Yeah. Um, uh, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could even say that we sort of saw that with um with some of the other people like uh fell or, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh yeah, I I agree. It, it's one of those things where it feels like everyone sort of has this idea of yeah, I, I want to break the wheel too, but there's so many <laughs> different ideas of how you want to do it, and it's such yeah. a monumental task that would involve getting everyone to work together. Really, yeah. It's I want to break the wheel, but I'll do it tomorrow. Basically, it, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's like Black Lamb's Blood said, uh, with these sorts of systems that perpetuate themselves and stuff, like, you need to kind of get everyone on board for the same plan, and yeah, it's just so much easier said than done for everyone but the witch hunters. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to sort of see, I, I feel like this is going to be a factor uh, in the next what, six arcs. Mm. Um, I can't wait to see how it manifests. 
Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it does manifest. Hopefully the wheel gets broken. <laughs> um, so Andy's back to form, and together with Ava, they kill all kinds of things. Yay! Yeah, I mean, mostly yay. Some of these are a bit... <laughs> yeah, can we talk about some of these? Okay, so a lot of them are others, and I'm, I've already, we've already talked about this. You can kill others, it's fine. They don't count. <laughs> they're they're freebies. Oh, 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 hold on. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. We're not, think, we're not reading we landed games. anywhere on that one, did we? Uh, um. <laughs> um, no, but putting that aside, putting apart the, aside the, the grayer, gray areas... Two of them are actually just practitioners, like actually just full-on human people. Um, one is a, a kind of outsider practitioner who made a bid for a leadership. And so Andy blew him up with a car bomb, which, all right, that's a bit, that feels a bit loaded. <laughs> um, and then the other one is a practitioner kind of hanging out with the Duchamps and, and role-playing a Duchamp, and they get sniped. And it's like, I mean, I, I guess they technically did things that were bad, or the... Kind of. I mean, not even that bad. <laughs> not even that bad. Like, it feels very extreme. It it does it does kind of feel like killing these people probably served Sandra and or Johanna's yeah more than than say the, the others, which were general. I would people. say yeah, and oh. and they just kind of slipped it like. It's just, it's like a list of 10 things and you're like, okay, yeah, it's another, it's another, don't care about those, obviously, that's fine. And then slipped in there is one or two like, oh, a practitioner who was pretending to be a Duchamp, so I killed him with my 150 metre calibre rifle, whatever. Uh, And it's like, oh, wait, hold on. That's a practitioner? That's a person, right? Yeah, but I think that's the point. Uh, Like for me, like this list has both. And because I had the same instinctive reaction, I was like, but wait, those are people. And yeah. then, you know, I guess the person who grew up in Stargate with me has learned to then take a step back and say, okay, but why do I care more about the people than I do humans. about the others? They're not just others that you can kill without even worrying about it. They're people. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, you can't, can't argue. I feel uh, like I, no, I, 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 I do disagree, but being... I, don't, I, I don't think this conversation's going to go anywhere. But um... I was just talking about not being so human-centric, and obviously I've just played into that. <laughs> um, no, you know, I agree with you, but it definitely, I don't know, you're right. Well, I think including the humans sort of calls the whole thing into question a bit. Yeah, like, I think that's why they're peppered in there. And I want to pull out this one line that's towards the end where Andy says, I don't enjoy the killing, but I was proud of that last one, which is like, I'm going to rephrase that for him here. I don't enjoy the killing, but I enjoyed sniping this practitioner. It was a fun little challenge, like a game of duck hunt. Yay. Like, <laughs> that's what he's that's what he's saying, basically, right? I mean, yeah, like, I think the charitable read is him sort of saying, well, you know, I don't enjoy that it's killing people, but it was a pretty good shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the most charitable read. And it's not a very good one. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. It sort of shows the negative side of these witch hunters. Like, we've just talked about how much they're networking and trying to sort of stop the bad things. Yeah. But uh, this list sort of helps point out to us that part of that, stopping the bad things is just kind of killing people without you know trial yeah so um they're judge jury and executioner just to uh, clarify you said andy's definitely the good one ava's definitely the evil one right (laughs) black and white clear as day (laughs) i mean as clear as blake and rose yeah. yeah yeah no very muddy i would say um so finally, this chapter kind of ends with Andy. I mean, I, I say ends, but it's a f- it's a fair chunk. This chapter towards the end starts talking about what happened at this impromptu council meeting with Mags and Molly, and how did they not end up as BFFs forever? We get to see it, and it starts out like we kind of mentioned. It starts out as a as a page, but then it kind of transitions into being a, a kind of third person perspective focused on Andy. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, I mean, what's interesting here is, uh, like, you know, of course, Mags and Molly's deal not really going anywhere is not even at all what is ends up being the problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's still kind of Molly's fault, but let's, let's get into it. Is it, though? We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, yeah. So, uh, the one thing I want to talk about first is, um, before, before this happened, the last thing we saw Mags do is talking to Blake and saying, like, oh, I'm going to fight it every step of the way. And she felt very, like, gung-ho about it. And she comes in and she makes the weakest, like, she's making such weak arguments in such a weak way. I kind of forget how bad Mags is at some of this practitioner stuff sometimes. Um, 
Yeah, I, like I think they're actually fairly good arguments, but I mm. agree that she's not she she doesn't present them in the most convincing is, manner. Yeah, her argument for why this isn't a, a, a her siding with the Thorburns is she asks Molly, "Hey, do you like Rose?" And Molly's like, "Nah." And then Max is like, <laughs> "See, <laughs> what more do you need?" I mean, it's not a great argument. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a valid argument, but I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to, yeah. uh, pr- present it. Um, I, I mean, there's a bunch of really nice bits in, in this whole conversation though. Like the bit where Sandra sort of pleads with Mags to prove her wrong and, and stuff is quite touching. Mm. Um, yeah, there's always no, so that, many, that like, nice. there's always so many touching Sandra moments. Like she's so surprisingly, um, like. Char- she's a character I'm like very often feeling empathy towards, despite yeah. kind of <laughs> being the worst. Yeah, um, like I feel like <laughs> I could feel so much empathy towards her if she just didn't keep doing bad shit. Yeah, like she at, at, at the same time as being someone who I'm always like, oh, you know, this is so sad Poor for Sandra. Sandra. Yeah, but at the same time, she's the person who is standing for keeping things as they are yes. right now, which is a terrible fucking position to be in. She's the uh, one who has agency to make the decisions. And she always goes, oh, no, I have to, oh, I have to kill Max now. I have to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, you don't, Sandra. <laughs> you, you can change these decisions. Yeah. Um, um, also, I think the tone here is kept quite light by, our, uh, you know, our favorite Dunko, uh, you know, keeping it real. Duncan. <laughs> yeah, I love how um, Max just totally dunks on him a, th- a few times, <laughs> and everyone just is like fine with it. It's great. Yeah, nobody nobody calls her out on it. And in fact, I'm beginning to come con- become convinced that uh, the Bahames probably do have something legit up their sleeve. Yeah, like uh, I mean, you know, they're literally bite- biding their time, presumably. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, think Duncan is just the like the f- the. F- I don't know, the, the the fake front that lulls them into a sense of security. Like, oh, Duncan's in charge? Oh, it's fine then. Yeah, and I think, like, the, the impression Andy almost gives is that yeah. he thinks Duncan is doing that intentionally. Like, Duncan yeah. is kind of presenting a shitty face for the Bahames yeah. as part of his job. Like, he, he knows he's doing that. <laughs> uh, which is, Big like, a, a, such an interesting... <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's so good. Like, I can't wait. I think they're going to be a late player and they're just going to come in and fuck shit up and I can't yep. wait. We'll see. Um, so uh, one other note that's interesting here is uh, someone says something and then and then the line goes, Andy saw Mags look at Faisal, then Johannes, something up there, with the indication kind of being from the text that Johannes or Faisal have something to do with Molly dying or becoming sentient. It's, it's obviously a little vague. Probably with her becoming sentient, um, which is... Interesting. Yeah, that does seem to be the implication, and you're right. It's it's very interesting. Uh, I have no idea what to do with. It. I'm filing. I'm filing that away in the like for later uh, part of my brain. Yeah. Um. Because I mean, Molly was on her way to Johannes's domain when she died, right? That was something we learnt. Uh, yeah. Early in Arc Nine, I think. No, yeah. oh, sorry, early in Arc Ten. Um. I I yeah, wonder I if if we're meant to think that. Molly becoming sentient again is kind of a Johannes play to maybe then be able to control her and get some influence over the Thorburns through that, or I don't know. I mean, that's definitely where my brain went. Like, I do agree that that's sort of where we're meant to go. Um, but I've read enough of this book now to know that just because the book's telling me something is true, that doesn't mean it is. Oh, yeah, so of course. I'm I'm keeping my healthy paranoia uh, alive and, and not committing to anything. Yeah. Um... So, Molly's here, and she's making demands of the council, because, of course, they did kill her, so, okay, yeah. fair enough. Fair, fair. Uh, she demands a sacrifice of one child from each of the major families in exchange for her, you know, letting it go, I guess. Um, karmically, seems fair. Yeah. Uh, morally, it bit less so. Um, this is I pretty mean, crazy, Molly. they did kill her. <laughs> like, they did, they did kill her, and- Yes, so the solution is more killing, of course. Well, you know, but when you're in a position... Like, when you're able to be like, you know what, this seems like a fair deal for the people who killed me, I I feel like you're, you, it's hard to make a, re- a super reasonable argument, and Molly's one, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty fair. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't be too down on it, because they did kill her. Um, yeah, but maybe... 
Well, yeah, I mean, they'd never give their own lives, so no point calling for yeah, that. But they were never going to give their children. I mean, the ironic thing here, like, I love this. I, I, I'm convinced this is wild, but I'm having a bit of fun. Uh, the bit where everyone has a child to, to kill, except for Johannes. Of course, he has no children. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, like, his whole thing with, with Pied Piper and, and kids is it's just like this, I think, just a fun little bit of uh, wordplay. <laughs> yeah. No kids for Johannes. Um, like, I'm sure, I'm sure if he wanted... He could he could put some children together, like not biologically his, but I'm sure he's got some <laughs> I'm, around. I'm sure he could put some children together. I mean, that sounds like it's definitely within his wheelhouse. Yes. Um. So basically, at this point, Ava just shoots Molly. <laughs> I mean, she's had enough. <laughs> she just pulls the gun up and shoots her. Um. And and no Andy, one really questions yeah, it. Yeah. No one. Like, no one's even like, wow. Or, no one even seems to be surprised. Even. <laughs> I mean, it's just like. Bang. Uh, Molly, of course, is able to avoid the shot quickly enough um, and basically swears a vengeance before disappearing. And then Jacob's bell starts to ring. Nice. I hadn't even made that that connection mm. um, like between the name of the town and, and the bell tolling. But it uh, it really adds a whole lot of weight to what the bell tolling means for the whole town. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's like symbolically, it's the alarm system of the town. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so the bell rings 13 times. I mean, we that's what Mags says. It hasn't rung 13 times yeah. by the time the chapter ends, but it's ringing. And uh, basically, this is explain, explained to us that Molly is uh, using her wraith powers to basically signal to everybody that it's time for, for stuff to pop off. Um, yeah. It's happening. Yeah, the the dam has broken. Um, you know, this this whole arc has been drilling into us how, how much firepower there is here, and Molly just opened the floodgates. Yes, and so we know that negativity is kind of permeating through the town. It's interesting because this happens basically concurrently with the stuff that we saw in the last two chapters. But we ne- mm. we didn't hear any bell ringing. But presumably, it's happening around the same time that uh, that Rose is making her deal. You would think. Uh I get the impression this is, I, I think this is, I think Blake was already in the mirror when this part started to go down. But, um, um it, you know, uh, Jeremy does hear that stuff has gone down with Mags and Molly. So there's some yeah. overlap there. Uh, absolutely. Um, but I, I have a feeling this bell stuff going off is probably when Blake is already in the mirror. Yeah, um, okay. Just because I don't, I, I've given up on believing that there's excuses for Rose doing what she does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no excuses for her. Um, so the bell tolls, uh, and the chapter ends with Andy thinking, you know what, one of these days I'm just going to blow up every damn practitioner in this town. And uh, yeah, yeah. And it, he's, it ends he's on a smiling. happy note. <laughs> yeah, he's smiling as he thinks it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to condone any mass killings with rocket launchers or anything, um, but you know, if you had to pick some people, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's hard, I feel hard like to it's argue fair. with the logic of of the problems this would solve. Just uh, rocket launching the church while they're all in it. Yep, I mean, Andy is dedicated. Andy really is the only person we've seen be well, Blake to an extent, but be very dedicated to the innocence in town, right? I mean, Mags as well, yeah. Mags Blake, but Andy and and. Ava potentially, but you get the sense she doesn't care about mm. it that much. Um, she just likes the killing, you know. Yes, she's more. She's the sort of person you point at what you want killed for productive reasons. Yeah, uh, and just make sure there's always something to point her at. But yeah, Andy's. Uh, you know, he's here for the innocence, which I'm all for. Um, if it means kill every practitioner, it's the price you got to pay. Oh yeah, I mean, as as I sort of said, like I don't. You can see how many problems it could solve uh, taking them all out. Yeah. Um, I do think it also probably would <laughs> cause some problems, oh, right? Yes. Like, practitioners no, do play yeah. a role in keeping people safe, despite yeah, some of them not it, wanting it, to. It would create a very volatile situation, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, this is a fun chapter. Um, I, I Yeah, as I said, just sort of to round it out, I think it, you know, looking at Andy in this way gives us a really neat insight into the world uh into exactly how jacob's bell goes to shit at the end here uh and and gives us like i think it's so interesting to compare andy to blake and to rose and and eva you know through him as well yeah um like i really like how this sort of ties up an arc that i think was defined by uh us expecting the shit to hit the fan Mm. and it does yay yes (laughs) um yeah i'm terrified to see what 
happens next chapter. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be gloriously horrible. Yes. Uh, and that's the end of Malafide. Um, so now that this arc has ended, why don't we why don't we kind of loop back around and talk about what we what we think are the key takeaways from this arc? And of course, we should start with the title of the arc itself, Malafide, which means mm-hmm. bad faith, intent to deceive. Right? Do, being Malafide means you are you are acting with intent to deceive. You're acting in bad faith. Uh, yeah. And I mean Rose, right? Rose is Rose is the Malafide <laughs> in this chapter, like right? Like I don't know if there's a way to. I mean, there's other meanings that you can read into it, but I think the main one is Rose Malafide, Rose, Rose, Rose. Uh yes. Uh, I think given how ten point seven went down, it's hard to argue with the fact that uh, she definitely felt like, from Blake's perspective, that she stabbed him a whole bunch in the back. Mm. Uh, and yeah, just kind of manipulated things there. Um, yeah. With everyone. Um, uh, yeah. Although, honestly, if we're talking about people acting in bad faith, there's a fair amount of them. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and not just in this arc. I mean, that's basically the whole book, right? <laughs> everyone's yeah. constantly acting in bad faith. Um, I think, like, like also, sort of, Malafide can just mean, uh, like, illegally, like, to do mm. to do something, you know, like, to do something in bad faith that's just against the law. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw some examples of this, like, um, when Jezza blew open the house, that redefined, well, that broke all the rules we thought sort of existed. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of arguably a, a Malafide moment. But, uh, yeah, I think I, 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 this, like, unless I'm missing it, I think that the arc title here has a little bit less thematic resonance with everything mm. that went on, or, or like, less... You know, not not as many different sorts of meanings, and I think that's because this is almost this felt to me like the the start of the second half of the book, mm. if that makes sense. Like it's almost another introduction arc where we've really reestablished Jacob's Bell and where everyone stands, and you know, obviously based on how this ends, now we're getting into it. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, I guess arc ten is the turning point, right? Arc nine was our our null arc, um, and now yeah. Yeah, Arc 9 sort of brought the end of the first half of the story together and set us up for the second half, but yeah. this one was the one that really sort of established or re-established most of what we're going to see in this second half, I think. Yeah, no, I think that, that feels fair to me. Um, so let's talk about some of the themes this arc, what we think the key thematic uh, through lines were, and what we think we take away from this arc going forward. Yeah, so I think one we've talked about a lot was, um, you know, Blake re-establishing himself in the world which of course ties into that idea of it being the re-establishment of the second half of the story Mm. um you know he was the arc opened with him literally being cut off from the house which was his old tie to the world you know that was sort of his old base and the story quite explicitly went no you can't go back here uh, and, you know, then he sort of got to compare uh, himself to Mags's solution for the similar problem she went through. Mm. And then he sort of ultimately fell back into bad habits and has now ended up stuck in a mirror. So I'll, <laughs> I'm super excited to see where he goes from here, because I think I think the last two chapters or his last two chapters of the arc were really defined by him sort of falling into the same traps that got him into the abyss. And I think he's hopefully going to have time to reflect on that. God, I hope um, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, like he just—I thought he would have had that time when he was, you know, during Null, but he really just did the same exact damn mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I—I I mean, it, it's interesting because I—I sort of gave him shit last chapter for being like, "Oh, you should have gone with Mags and Molly to the uh, church because coming to Rose was the bad decision." Mm. Uh, and then we see what went down in the church. There's no way he could have helped there either. So uh, I'm wondering if the lesson here for Blake is that maybe he just doesn't always need to dive in. Um, but that kind of goes against everything I've been saying about not becoming part of the system. I'm, I'm just, I'm so interested to see where Blake takes this or what lessons he learns from it. Cause I'm, I'm conflicted myself on what lessons I feel like he should take from it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the, we kind of touched on this last chapter, right? Where the, the real lesson is, stop playing the game, Blake. Stop, stop. <laughs> like, stop doing this. Um, yeah. But again, like, 
if you stop playing completely, at what point are you enabling the system? You know? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, he obviously, the reason he kept playing was because of his friends, right? And it's like, Blake, they don't, they don't, they're not worth it, man. Come on. <laughs> like, I, if I were Blake, okay, I want to go hunt the bad things. I made that promise to Evan. All right, I'm going to do that. Go off, fucking go to, I don't know, Toronto or fuck that. Go to Ontario, go somewhere else and just do shit there for a while, man. Like if Evan wants to come, he can come, whatever. Just go, go hunt bad things somewhere else where it's not so, I don't know, terrible for you. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting because I feel like if I were Blake, the fact that I turned down Faisal's offer earlier in this arc would be whole, hovering in the back of my mind for the whole rest of this Yeah, book. I'm going to be very interested to see whether at the end of this book uh, we can say with any certainty whether that was the right call or not. I mean... Because uh, I mean, at the moment it seems like a hard no, but we don't know where he's going to go from here. Do you think there's a... I mean, because we talked about the lawyers being his out for a while. Do we think that Faisal is still possibly an out for him? I mean, he's turned down the deal, but... Maybe it can still be on the table. I don't know. I really like that comparison to the lawyers because that's exactly how I view Faisal and Johannes. Yeah. It's a deal with the devil. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'm all for that comparison. I think you're right. This will be uh, the get out of jail free card from the lawyers 2.0, like going and serving Johannes in whatever form that takes. I yeah. do not believe it will be as a... I mean, it's doing willing... a favor for him, right? I mean, it's basically exactly what the lawyers... Uh, no, actually, I think it was explicitly, like, joining his team permanently. Well, permanently, what is that? I'm well, sure there's yeah. wiggle room in there. Well, I'm sure it's mostly that your energy joins him permanently. I don't know how much yourself gets to be a part of it, but anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, we yeah. come from different levels of pro uh, Johannes' <laughs> stances. Oh, we, we definitely do. Um, um, but anyway, let's, uh, let's find out in the future. Yeah, that's the end of uh, that's the end of Malafide uh, Arc Ten, and that's the end of our uh, our episode d- discussing it as well. So, what a coincidence! Yeah. But don't worry if you want more discussion on uh, Malafide Ten Point X or any other stuff that we've talked about so far. There's a place to go for that, a place where everybody knows your name, and that place is the Parahuman subreddit. Um, and you find the link to the discussion thread that you can comment in and discuss with everybody posted down in the description of this episode down below. Yes, uh, and we also have Twitter and an email address that we're contactable by. Yeah. Uh, and because this is already a very long episode, I'm not even going to list them. I'm Whoa. just going to combine this all and say, if you had to doofmedia.com, it's listed there and Efficient. you can find out everything, including, you know, uh, those email and Twitter addresses and, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. And this yeah. probably took longer than me just saying them, but yeah. I've committed now. Yeah, you have. Um, yeah, so you can check out our Twitter, which I won't tell you, and email us, and I also won't tell you, at doofmedia.com. Um, you can also find a bunch of other shows on the Doof Media Network. Uh, a new episode of Weaver Dice just came out, which nobody expected, but uh, it's here, <laughs> and can't wait to listen to it. Um, a new episode of mm, What You Say, the hottest, freshest new podcast on the Doof Media Network. And uh, the, the fan art contest is kicking off from today, or is that right? Yes, uh, like I, I think we'll start accepting submissions today. I don't know. Like, uh, well, you know, they're announcing it simultaneously on We've Got Ward right now. Yep. Uh, I can hear them just over there. We, <laughs> yeah, they're just in the other studio. Uh, <laughs> just in the other diff studio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously, you know, we probably should have mentioned this at the start as well. We'll do that next episode. Mm. Um, but the the fan art contest uh, that is traditionally a parahumans only affair will be open mm. up opening up to packed art uh, yeah yeah because i think we're finally far enough into this story that we think that most of the fan art you're able to produce will be somewhat relevant uh to to us so everybody um, who's read the rest of the story no fan art about that scene you know the one i'm talking about yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so the theme of this uh fan art contest is reflections mm, interesting I- i'm not sure how that will fit into doing packed fan art but i'm sure you big brain people can figure mm. out a way yeah, you know, it's it's obviously very obtusely, uh, <laughs> you know, related to Pact. Yeah, no, I, um, I'd love we- to see some Pact fan art. I mean, we can, I'm just going to say it now, we can totally win this fan art contest, folks. Uh, <laughs> let's do it. Yes, uh, and if you want to help us, uh, the best way to do that is to become a Patreon, because yeah. the, the patrons are the ones who get to vote in that fan art contest. Yes. Um, to become a patron of Doof, you can go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and check out all the great perks that you get. Uh, not just uh, 
voting on fan art, but also voting on other things, and also the Discord and access to the Doof and Chill streams, the next one of which is coming out quite soon, which is exciting. Um, coming out, I shouldn't say coming out, we're, we're live streaming it, so it'll be being <laughs> created. Uh, yeah, um, all kinds yes. of good perks on there. And of course, you know, we always mention Wildbo's Patreon, and we kind of do it in the same way because it's hard to come up with a new way to do it and i'm not as creative as him so if you want to support really creative people just go to wildbo's patreon patreon.com slash wildbo yeah and he'll create more of these creative things yeah definitely uh yeah it's true i i've heard it i've heard it said um and that's that's us that's us for this uh for this chapter don't worry there'll be another chapter in two days yay uh and that yeah. chapter will be talking about malfeasance ooh, new arc uh 11.1 coming out on friday the 6th so we'll see you then man that arc name does not bode well we'll mm. see you on friday <laughs> did you think it was just suddenly going to be a happy ending now elliot or, or yeah or what? just you know the next arc was going to be called uh release yay yay time <laughs> <laughs> The next arc's going to be pizza delivery. It's here. (laughs) Anyway. All right. See ya. (laughs) See ya.